So turn with me, if you would, this morning, and I'm going to connect a little bit of what I did last week about soul ties, but the, as far as the title would be concerned is how God prepares us for great things. And the word prepare is interesting because it comes from two word pre, which we mean that we see and know that means ahead of time and pair. How many of you ladies have a pairing knife? How many of you don't cook? <coughs> I saw some of the older ladies going, the other go, what? I got a machete, that's what I use. <coughs> a paring knife means to cut off or to put away from, to cut away from. So the idea of preparation, preparing means that the Lord cuts away or takes away things ahead of time, so he's preparing us for great things. If the Lord has called you, say, to, to an entrepreneurship as a businessman and to prepare you for that, and that's his calling is there, is that he starts cutting away perhaps, uh, you know, self-centeredness, stinginess, and starts imparting to you generosity and knowing how that you can handle more than two zeros at a time. When I, when it was interesting when, when Pastor Jim was talking about $15,000, some of you went, I, I, is that much money in the world? <laughs> and so if you've not handled more than a couple of zeros at a time, yeah, it looks that way. So God grows us into to where we can have a greater capacity and weight to where things don't look that big because we see them in, in through God's eyes. And so a part of preparation is he prepares us with the capacity for what is to coming. Remember when the prophet came to the widow lady and, and uh, when she was... Her husband had died. She was a, a wife of one of the prophets. And the prophet came to her, uh, who was going to have to send, put her sons in, into indentured service. And he said, what do you have in the house? And she said, I have nothing but a little bit of oil in a jar. And he said, that's enough. But the idea was she had to provide a capacity for what was going to be poured into that. He could have just blessed that little jar Lord, bless it, let it go as far as it can. Or the fact is, she went and got all the vessels from all her friends, hopefully made good friends, and she didn't burn any bridges, and gathered everybody up, filled the house full of vessels, and the oil continued to flow to the level that it had capacity. There's times, and you've heard me say this a number of times, that we pray big prayers, and we give God teacups to pull it in. And then we wonder, how come I don't see answered prayer? If God answered it in the full way that we were expecting it, it could be destructive for us. Remember when he told Moses, and when Moses said, I want to see you. I don't see just what you do. I want to see you. There's something missing in my life. I want to see you. And God said, you cannot look on my face and live. So God could either say, I'm going to fry you right now. You don't know what you're asking. Or say, I've got a place over here. I've got to put you in the right place so that you can see what I can show you. So part of the preparation is that it's not the idea that God says no to the prayers. We're in process. So just tell someone around you, I'm in process. <clears throat> if I was an evangelist, I would tell that, you know, say this, say that. I'm... But it's true. When, when Hannah, who had no children, she was in process. The Bible said God had closed her womb up. Was he punitive towards her? No, because he had a, a bigger picture than the fact of her just having bragging rights for a son. Her nemesis was the other wife, 
Aren't you glad that we live in a life where we only have one wife at a time? <laughs> and so then he had Penina, who had children with her husband Elkanah. And so they would, this is my imagination anyway, they would go to the temple every year, which was to offer sacrifices. And Penina was bringing her kids, and, and she was given portions according to the size of the family. And Elkanah would give her sacrifices based upon the children she had. Can you imagine Penina looking at Hannah and saying, uh, what's your portion? How many people are you running in service? I've had that. How, how big is your budget? How big is your bank account? How big? Anytime the devil is trying to minimize us and know that God is setting us up for something. <clears throat> and she was grieved in her heart. So she said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. God gets us to the point and places that I'm, I'm releasing all, all my own thing, my own agenda, my own self-centeredness and the why I want it done. And I'm asking you to come and completely take what I have, bless it and cause it to be more in your hands than what it could be in my hands. When she came to that point in time, then God spoke to her at that point. You know, and she was there and she was crying out the Lord and you had a, you had a priest that wasn't even godly and his kids were, were the presence of God had no longer been there. There was no open vision there. And yet the priest said to her, woman, you're a woman of Belial. You know, in other words, you acted like a drunk woman. That the priest misinterpreted, but God knew her heart. No one has to interpret what's going on for you and in you. It's between you and God. Isn't that good? Nobody should look at someone else saying, well, I know what's going on there, and that didn't look very good, and that didn't look good. You don't know what's going on between them and God. It may look like they're going through you know, the gates of hell, but God has a purpose on the other side of that. And so in the process of that, God is preparing us for a bigger bang for what's getting ready to happen. So never judge someone where they are and what's going on inside them because we don't know their heart. Uh, if we do, we end up doing like Eli the priest and missing it. And he said, well, whatever, whatever it is God's, you want in there, God, go and give it to her. Well, in time, she had a son and she kept a word brings him to the house of the Lord. He was the, the prophet that would deliver the nation from all of the idolatry and all the immorality that was going on at the altar of God there in Shiloh. And so there's sometimes when the Lord is, he withholds from us, not to punish us, but to reveal himself in a greater dimension and which no one should judge from the outside looking in. He has a way of bringing us into something greater with that. And so there's, we are in process of greater things than these will you do because Jesus said, I go to my Father. Greater things will you do. Not what you're doing, but will you do. So we're all about growing into the fullness of, the, of his headship, not growing into our, our estimation. And so I'll look at a few things that, that causes us to be stumped and stymied from breaking into what God's called us to in a greater way. The first thing that I think the Lord wants to have every person that encounter, I wish we could say that that's probably true for all of us, is to have an encounter with the Lord. So if we can show that video, and I want to make this a short prayer before I go any farther. This is a church in Ukraine, and if we can show it, it may not look really great on the big screen. <clears throat> I've been in this church 
This is the church in, in Kiev, I'm pretty sure. The pastor's name is Boris. In fact, Boris has actually been here in our, our church here. Been in the church in Nikolaev and Oleg. The largest Messianic church is right, is there, if this is the one. And you can't even see, it's over a thousand people, which is large for a Messianic church. And the caption is, this is how we fight our battles. <clears throat> you really understand and know when, when the enemy physically is at your doorstep, and this is how you respond to it, instead of caving in and collapsing. So, Father, we just pray right now and ask God that you would strengthen the believers there in Kiev, Ukraine, Odessa, Nikolaev, and the other cities right now, that even when their enemies surround them, let them see the chariots of fire, that there's more for them than against them. God, that you're able, as you did with Gideon, overcome with a few hundred, uh, with little and you overcome with a great army. So we ask that God right now that you would perform miracle after miracle in behalf of our brothers and sisters that are in those cities there in Ukraine. Your, your desire is for Ukraine to remain free because it's the largest import of missionaries throughout Eastern Europe. 86% of the people there claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, right now, God, let your awesome covering and power just come over them in those cities. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I expect we'll, we'll, hear, we'll hear some incredible stories of miracles and already have some of them anyway. I remember being in... Um, in Kiev during Yom Kippur, and they literally wore me out. They came by and grabbed your hand, and we danced. We were in a much bigger venue. It was in a kind of a, a large citywide auditorium. We danced, and it was large, and we danced and come back around, and there we go again. I tried to break hands with them and catch my breath, because so minister, and man, that wouldn't, no one grabbed me, and here we went. <laughs> <clears throat> so all, eating all that cabbage is what did it, I guess. But they are fervent, fervent, fervent in, in their worship and blessing the Lord. And, and Diane and I personally, as well as the church here, we, we support Valentin and Tatiana uh, Sviontek. I know that Marcy and Randy know who they are, friends of theirs, and uh, they are out of Christ for the Nations. They are Ukrainian, and we've heard from them that uh, they were able to get out of Odessa, Ukraine, which they're there. They oversee a, a number of Messianic churches, uh, and he is a rabbi. And so um, they've made it down to Moldova, which right across the border and planning on going into Romania and looking for to wait it out there in Romania. And, or, and some of them are going into Poland as well, if you look at the map. So God has a way of protecting. Right now it is causing the largest, one of the largest airlifts of, of Aliyah. Aliyah is when Jews come back to Israel. Is there, what the Bible said, he was going to bring them out of the north. They're coming out of the north. <coughs> And he's, he's fulfilling his words and bring him into Israel. I just, I don't know how many, last I heard is 10 plane loads. There may be more since then of Jewish believers that have been, that have been flown into um, the Tel Aviv airport and will be disseminated around the country as well. All right. One of the encouragements is that for every believer, in order to come to this place of intimacy with the Lord, we call it an encounter. The word encounter means the, the voice of the Lord to pass through is what encounter means. Is what Psalms 91 says that 
He that abides dwells, puts her tent down. In other words, I'm living there, not visiting. Need to hear that. It's not on again, off again. I'm living there. He that abides lives there. The shadow, you've heard me say before, Teslam is the thoughts of God. Pastor Jim just shared some of that. Under the shadow or the thoughts of God shall say of the Lord, he is my refuge. That part right says he that abides in the secret place. The word secret there means a place of concealment, of hiding, but it's also a place of intimacy. For a lot of believers, they've never had an intimate experience with Jesus. I want to say that again. A lot of believers have never had an intimate relationship with Jesus. If they had, it would be transforming. Once you've had an encounter with the Lord, you you never would, would doubt again, never would, well, we may have moments like that, but there's something in saying the reality of who he is is beyond just studying a few words in the scripture. If you've never had that kind of relationship with Jesus, then maybe you've heard, you believe it theologically, but there's something in your heart that grabs you that wants you to take you closer into it. If it's just religion that any church will do, any place will do. But when you've had an intimate relationship with Jesus, the way he talks about the secret place, in Proverbs 25, 2, said it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to secret or to cover, hide it. It is the glory of kings, you and I, to, to seek it out or go after it. So part of the, the being in the intimate place with the Lord causes us to hunger for more. So if you're here this morning and say, I don't want those people all excited up there, the hand raising, I don't, I don't want what y'all are excited about. I don't, it's not a football game. I don't see anything. It's because you haven't had an intimate relationship with Jesus. Maybe you know him theologically. For some people are real heady with theology, but have never encountered him personally. And personally is where that you have this communication within your heart where that he can convict you. He can bring us to a point of saying that's not going to be your beneficial point. And he can also tell you about how he feels about you and thinks about you and encouraging at that point. He, the word of God opens up differently because you read it as a love letter. But if you only read it strictly as some kind of theological treatise, as if you were studying, cramming for finals, then, then it's not going to really speak to you. But when you begin to realize that I want to live in this intimacy with him, that everything around me is temporal and eternity becomes more and more real. So whatever happens is temporal that I can see, taste, touch, see around it, and the temporary causes me less anxiety because I know the eternal. So whatever is happening in the moment, it's going to all pass away and it's all temporary, but the things that we set our heart and affection upon is above. So I want us to see how the Lord prepares us for great things, and he starts with the fact is our relationship with him. That relationship could be, well, I'm born again, I've asked him into my heart, and I'm good, that go. That's got a little fire insurance, that's all I need to know. Well, how many of you own a job and you make $5 an hour that you wouldn't want more? That more is built into us. When you come to the point that you've had enough of Jesus, just I don't want to go to hell, and so the alternate is, is better, so that's it, then, then we haven't had that encounter because it's no, hell is no longer the issue. How many came today because you're afraid of hell? I didn't get up this morning thinking about it. 
But there's something inside of you that I want more of him, not because to keep out of hell, but I want to move towards him, not just running from something, but I'm running to him. And with doing that, there's this insatiable appetite that takes us into the more of him. And that's not to be so super spiritual that we start judging everybody else by our standard, but it means that it's a personalized, tailored, intimate encounter with the Lord. And I want to get into some of that this morning, how that happens and how we remove from that. Remember when the glory of God left Adam and Eve, they started blaming one another. We can tell that when we don't like somebody or something or some, some you know, now I mean there's all things that we prefer not to, like in our country and nation that we'd prefer to be different. But when Jesus becomes more than enough, everything else has a lower place. He becomes the priority. He becomes the more than. He becomes the greater than. More than what we can ask and, and believe for, ask and see. So I want us to understand that there's a secret place by him that's not probably taught in the average church. And this is the whole press for me and for this house. To know him is life. To know him more than anything else. Not about him, but to know him. I want us to look at Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. He gives us an understanding. He said, the winter is past. The rain is over. The flowers appear. I'm just looking forward to that. <laughs> the time of pruning, it's also the word translated tuning or singing. The time of tuning, talking about the vines, or singing, has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard. The way that you can have a breakthrough in in a place of intimacy is beyond going beyond complaining, but singing. Sing unto the Lord a new song. He puts something inside of us that resonates with Him. Deep calls out and deep. His song wants to cry out to him. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he rejoices over us. means to dance, to jump, leap, and twirl around. You think Jesus does that? That's what his word says. And so with that, he said, I want to bring you into a dance with me. Something happens when you, when you dance. A lot of times Diane comes up and she said, here, dance with me. We're just in the house alone. No music. She's dance with me. And I'm, I'm not a dancer. But I mean, what we're, we're bonding because we're not dealing with, I don't like this about you, and I don't like this about you, and I don't like this about you, but let Jesus come and be your dance partner and let him sing over you, which takes us from the momentary light affliction to a greater weight of glory. All right. I want to look at, uh, when we begin to pray, there's three levels of prayer. I think when I'm talking about prayer, I'm not just talking about idle prayer, but when you need a miracle, when you need God to show up in a big way, so it's not like, God, help me to make this red light here, you know, and don't get caught. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. I'm talking about a prayer that has a depth on it that you really need God to, to uh, come and work in you. First of all, he begins by desire. Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have it. If you're wanting God to do something big, start with a desire. I was praying at a conference in Houston. 
And the girl comes up and I said, whatever you wanting God to do for her? And she goes, whatever. And I said, God doesn't do whatever. And I just walked past her. And she said, hey, you pray. And I said, when you get a desire, call me back. Went on down the other line. I thought, I don't have time to waste with whatever. Because if you don't know if it shows up and it's whatever, you won't even know whether God did it or not. Because you don't know what whatever looks like. In other words, what she's saying is, I want you to prophesy with me and tell me something makes me feel good. No, whatever doesn't catch it. She came back later and says, I do have something on my heart. And I said, all right, what is, I don't agree with you. Whatsoever you desire, the word desire there is, means to, as the word, same word as delight, means to lean into, have an insatiable appetite for it, that it starts growing inside of you. So do you know what, what desire do you have for God? Have you laid it out before him? Someone else can't give you their desire. It needs to be something personalized between you and God that's a desire on your heart, and he wants you to know what it is. He wants you to have a desire and not desire to shoot out here among us and see what you hit. It's whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have it. And then the second thing is comes with that. From when that desire comes, it is a conception, a seed sown in you. And the second thing is the Holy Spirit starts developing faith. Faith is not just believing in, but faith is moving towards that. Am I living my life towards seeing that, that desire fulfilled? Am I moving in that way, cutting off all the other things, preparing, cutting off everything that doesn't belong inside that desire? Cutting off everything, don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. I mean, you can have a believer that's still unequally yoked. Anything that hinders me from going after that desire, the Holy Spirit will begin to cut it off and pre-cut off, pair ahead of time. So when faith begins to rise within us, you begin to have a sense that I want this. It becomes an appetite and desire. A lot of Christians live their life without any desire for God. They love him in the sense of a general way, like I love bread, I, I love, you know, pancakes in the morning, I love all these other things, you know. I love chocolate. Don't bring me any. I don't need the temptation. But we love these things. But God has to become an insatiable appetite that causes you to get up every morning and pursue it. Pursue after him. Faith starts building inside of you that you can have a sensitivity that it's coming. It's coming. Just like a woman can tell you and she gets the baby bump and you can always tell because they walk around with their hand on their belly. So she's getting ready. I mean, it's gone from a desire to where faith has risen and something's moving and happening that way. Secondly, is the third thing is that I want us to look at strongly for a little bit, is the thing with testing, a word I don't like, testing. When God tests something, it's not for the idea of, of punitive or putting it down or to hurt, but it's the idea of saying, are you ready for what you're believing for? If you go into Matthew, the, the seventh chapter, Jesus gives us a great example when he says, and he's, he's given him an understanding of how the kingdom of God operates in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He makes a comparison, a distinction. So the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall and was found on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine does not 
do them, they would be like the foolish man, meaning unlearned. The foolish man had a house too, who built a house on the sand, beachfront property. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. Same testing on the one on the rock as it was the one on the sands. And uh, winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was, was its fall. So it was with Jesus had into these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. So right there Jesus says, I'm going to come and test what I'm going to build on. But if, it's not, if it cannot withstand the weightiness of his, pre, of his presence, let it fall to the ground because I, don't want to, I want to stay in that house anyway. But he comes to test. Now there's two different words in Scripture for test, and he tells us in, in James, the first chapter, and we need to know the distinction because uh, testing can come from two different sources. Verse, let's pick it up in James 1, verse 2. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many is there yet? Man, I'm so good today. Have this, this trial, this pressure. Wow, man, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. I'm not quite there. <laughs> I just have to trust the Lord. I don't have the emotion for it, but I'm trusting the Lord in the middle of it. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials or testings, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. Patience is a word to long temper as opposed to a short temper. Short temper means I don't have patience. Long temper, long suffering means I'm trusting God for the outcome. And so I don't know what's going on right now, but I know the end result is going to be good. So part of the, the key component for intimacy coming into the secret place of the Lord is first of all trust. If trust is not there in any relationship, it is hard to go very deep at all. And trusting the Lord, because he already knows anyway, he knows the deepest thoughts, we don't hide anything from him. But when we talk to him about it and we're willing to confess it and, and invite him in to be part of that, then we have moved to the point is that testing is not something against us, but it's for us. When Jesus was talking to this, into Jerusalem and he said, I wanted to bring bring a visitation to you, but you would not let me. Because the word visitation, episkopos, means inspection. Like an inspector on a building that inspects the concrete, inspects the, inspects the steel to see if when we put the roof on, will it collapse everything. So when the Spirit of God says to you or says to a church that we feel very strongly the Lord is saying to us about His presence and where He wants to take us, is that He comes to test the metal, if you will. Test it. How serious are you about this? How serious are you to prepare or allowing the Holy Spirit to cut away things that don't belong and just allow the weightiness of His presence to come? Learning how to linger in His presence, learning how to hear His voice, learning how to not get distracted by the cares of life. That is a, a test, if you will. I think any relationship that has never been tasted, probably, tested probably will not have longevity. I'm not saying absolutely. No, Pastor Jim and I have had this discussion when we were counseling new couples who are going to be married. Uh, remember him saying one to one of them saying, have you guys had an argument? I said, no, we've never had an argument. He went, hmm. I think you just need to go have one and just <laughs> see, come back and let's talk about it. I don't know if he said it that way or not. <laughs> so because if it's never been tested, 
then things will come, the rains will come, and things will come. Will it stand the test of time because I haven't gone through anything to withstand that? And so when we go through it, we become stronger in the process because now we have, we have a sense and know that when, if, what, no matter what fails or falls around us, we're not going to fall and we're not going to fail in the midst of that because we've been tested in the middle of that. So the testing of the Lord means that I'm ready to build the next level. I'm ready to come. If we fail or fall that test, so oh, the, the devil made me do it, I just couldn't handle it, or I just needed that, then what we're saying is, Jesus, you're not strong enough in me. I need to go back to Jesus 101 and have an intimate relationship with you because it's so easy for the world to pull me out. This is way too easy for me to fall. So that means the fact is, you're not as strong inside of me as I want you to be. So it tells us and lets us know I need to dig in and go deeper in the things of the Spirit of God. The other source where testing comes, and it's really the word for temptation, and he tells us in the next part of James, pick it up in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Notice up above that he says testing. In this particular, he's using the word temptation. Two different things two different uh, points that the testing comes from. Blessed is one who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised in those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. We need to get that down. God didn't bring that thing along just to see if you would fall. He tests your innermost being to see, are we good? Let God arise. Is a, is a relationship with him strong? He doesn't bring something along to see, see if lust is there or, or pull you aside for any kind of reason. He said, because God doesn't tempt anyone, he cannot be tempted, nor will he tempt us. He will test, but not tempt. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own own, own, own it. Own desires and enticed. God, if you hadn't brought that man or that woman across my path, I would have been good. No, it wasn't God that brought him, brought him alongside. It was, it was the devil that did it. Because the devil understands whether, where our relationship with God is too. Well, if he's not omniscient, how does he know? Because I show him. He sees what I look at on the internet. He sees my conversation. He sees my attitude. He sees my response when nobody else is looking around. He knows because he knows at a superficial level, but God knows the heart. And so God says, I'm after the heart. And so if we, we make a choice that I'm going to fall this way, then we have an act of our own will. It grieves the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean we can't be restored. It just means we find out we're really weakened by that. Remember that Judas followed with Jesus all the time, saw the miracles, saw everything Jesus did, heard the revelations that, that Peter had declared over them. He saw the love that God had for, for him, through him. And yet there's something in Judas's heart that never connected fully with Jesus. So when he was tempted to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was the amount you would pay to redeem a slave, and it says after he did it, he threw the money away and he could not find repentance. What do you mean? He couldn't find repentance. 
His heart was so far by that time hardened. He, he lost that place of intimacy with the Lord. It's possible to be in a church that has worshiped, a church that preached the word, and yet be far from him. You can know him, but not know him. You can know about him and all the theology. So I'm not impressed with theology. I know some guys that are huge scholars. I run with some guys that are some huge scholars that will just blow me away, just, you know, my mind. and just, You know, they're, they're speaking Greek and Hebrew. I just know a few words. Don't even know half of them what they mean. And so these guys are very heady, but a lot of them can talk it from here, but they have no empathy, have no heart for what, where the people are and where Jesus is. So he's talking about that Judas, though, though Jesus needed Judas to help him get to the cross. So betrayal for that time was that, Judas, you meant it for one way. God meant it, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Even betrayal can cause us to get closer to the Lord because we realize that I can't depend on everybody to think like I think. I need him. And there's times that we'll be betrayed. There's times that we can't believe what people will do. And that means that I've set, put way too much responsibility on people to fulfill what I want in my heart. My wife cannot fulfill all of my happiness. She can't. Because when God created mankind, all of us, there's a portion he left inside of us, our spirit being, that could not be fed by anybody else except God himself. I could be feeding my face. I could be taking power shakes and I could be buffing up and exercising and doing all that stuff. And on the outward, I'd look like, Ugh. and my soul, my mind, will intellect be a mess. Mean to people, don't care about people, very self-centered. And then the part of that deepest part of our spirit is, is totally anemic. When you feed the spirit man, the spirit man feeds the soul man. The soul man will cause your body even to heal. Third John 2. I would that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul, mind, will, intellect, your emotions, because we know that as a person thinks, so they become like what they think. God starts with our thinking, and then he goes deeper into, and he wants to put his thoughts in us to move beyond that. All right. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, Jesus is is telling his disciples, you're going to encounter some things that you need to know how to deal with soul debt. Interesting to note that in Matthew, the sixth chapter, I'll get back to this, when Jesus is giving us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer actually was a prayer he gave to the disciples, and he prayed it very distinctively, and he starts out and said, Our Father which art in heaven, and he tells before that, don't be like the Pharisees who pray these heady prayers and all this stuff to sound spiritual, to get people to look at them and say how spiritual they are. That's self-centered. Our Father which art in heaven, holy, hallowed, exclusively I'm giving you my thoughts. Hagios is the word. Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, I, I'm going after your agenda, not trying to get you to kiss my baby and do what I want done, all that. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive my debtors. Some translates to trespasses. The word debt or debtor is not just about money. I mean, they didn't have a banking system too much in those days, 
So literally, it, one translation says, and forgive me of my, my trespass or towards someone or my debt. If I have been wounded and hurt and have not dealt with it, that becomes a soul debt. But look what they did. They might not even known it, but now I'm in soul debt. That's, that has cost a waste of time and energy and a thought that I'm tied to them, connected to them. They don't have a right for God to bless them. I don't understand how God's blessing them and, and, and I'm hurting over here. Because God gave us a way of escape, but we've not chosen because we want justice to come to them. Let it be unto me as I've sown so will I reap. I made this question to you before. I'll do it again because it fits in with the message. Is it possible to be bound in heaven? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. It's already been bound there. And whatever is loosed on earth has already been loosed in heaven. The question was posed to me one day in prayer time when the Lord asked me, is it possible for you, speaking to me, to be bound in heaven? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Evidently, you have, the, you have the answer to that. And my thinking would know. If I'd done something, why are we talking about this? He's saying, if you don't forgive on earth, you cannot be forgiven there. So as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So if I'm praying these, these prayers that I have a desire and I'm building faith, and yet the last part of this thing to, to, for it to begin to happen is that I needed to see I come into a manifestation and release and produce it. It's coming into that secret place for the Father to do it. But if the soul debt is there, it keeps me from doing that. As you've done it to them, you've done it there. Yeah, but I'm believing God for some big things. So how do I get rid of some soul debt? So I shared last week the word Beth, Sheena Bet. It's what God uses in Genesis 6, which literally means teeth to crush, because every Hebrew letter has a picture. Teeth and a picture of a house. What does teeth and a house got to do with it? It means to crush the house so you have nothing to go back to. To get free is burn the thing down, burn the bridge, whatever you got to do, but don't go back there. Because every time you go back there, you retie that soul, your soul to that. Every time you rehearse that, you go over and over again. All right, Matthew, the 10th chapter. Jesus was releasing his, his uh, fledgling group of disciples. They were just freshly new, uh, coming, coming to where that point to where that they could uh, minister a little bit. And uh, he tells them, speaking up in verse 12, when you go into house, household greet it, not the house, the people. Hello, house. But you greet the people. In other words, you be kind to them. It's their, their domain. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon. What is worthy is how they receive you. If they've been honorable to you and you've been hospitality, then let your peace, you bless them, come upon that house. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, you're not sowing into something that's not receptive to it. Let your peace return to you. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, because Jesus sent them, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Well, that's pretty heavy. Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jesus was using an idiom that the Jewish culture used a lot 
to shake the dust off was a way to renounce what was going on there. You've heard my story. I won't go back and say it happened. The city I first pastored in, Lord had me get out of my truck. When I, the truck died at the city limit sign, I went out and he said, shake the dust off your feet. Do not carry the dust from your, this encounter or this experience into the next city where I'm going to send you. Because the baggage that you carry out of one relationship, you're going to carry into the next. Unless you completely get free, as much as we know how and allowing the Holy Spirit to do it, we will carry it into the next relationship or the next city or the next time we're ministering. We're ministering out of the pain or we're ministering out of the anger. We're ministering out of the bitterness that we're doing towards it. So he said, shake the dust off your feet. And here's the reason for that. In Genesis, uh, where, where God speaks to the serpent and curses him and said, on the ground you'll go. Before that, they believe the serpent walked on his hind legs. He said, on the ground you will go and you will eat the dust of the earth. Mankind, physically, we were created from the dust of the earth. If we give something for the demons to feed off of, they will continually to eat off of our dust and eat off of our emotions and eat off of our anger and eat off of our bitterness continually. When you find that how come all of this is attracting to me is because we have, we have sown, we've given a familial spirit and that anger, demons have, they have personalities and natures, a spirit of fear finds people that will feed it and find a host home that will feed it. So in the same way that we would consider that I don't want to give the devil anything to eat from, I'm going to shake the dust off and just say I'm going to move on. I'm not going to keep referring back to that moment. God, I would do something, but I got hurt there, and I'm never going to do it again. That's a good excuse that works for the flesh, but it's not honoring the Lord. How many of you could say, and you don't have to show of hands, I've been, as David said, I was wounded in the house of the Lord. I could show you my scars on my back. That has nothing to do with God. I'll bring healing. Trust me, I'll bring deliverance, but don't carry that into that. They shouted at Jesus, taunted him, cursed him, said if they've done it to the master, they'll do it to you. So what happens is if we take it in and we rehearse it and go over and over and over, well, I wonder what they meant by that. Maybe we parse the words and we start going over the words like a lawyer would. Is, 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 where they really is. And we start getting diet, so we let deep, going deep. And the more we get deeper with that, the more the wounding of that happens. Maybe they meant it like this. Maybe they went like that. And the devil said, yeah, go ahead. I'll give you some more to think about. Because he feeds on our thoughts, and we feel like we're anointed because the thought just came to me. Thought just came to me, how bad they are and how much God hates them. That thought was from... Uh, sure, surely God should put, let me in on the inside of that. Now you know how I feel. No, God doesn't let us in. He doesn't talk to us about his children. To, I mean, you don't speak bad about your children, hopefully, though you know how, what they are and what, how bad they are it can be at times, but you love them, you care, and you're there to protect them. So that's not a God thought. So to release us of that, he said, here's how it is. Get rid of the soul debt, shake the dust off that, and thank God for that encounter and experience. I've learned something from it through the passage. When you go through hell, don't stop. It's just a passage. One guy said, you know, 
we move, God moves us from glory to glory, but in the hallway, it's hell. <laughs> Just pass on through the hallway because you're moving to another level of glory. Count it all joy, though it may not feel like at the moment, but keep your eyes upon what's ahead. He, Bible says, like Hebrews, he said, for the joy that was set before him, speaking of Jesus, he endured the cross. That's hard to understand, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus wasn't looking at the cross and saying, oh boy, it's a good day to be you know, pierced and spiked and, and cursed and beaten. He saw the joy of the Father. I'm going back to the Father and I'm going to be restored, realigned to my Father. And going through the cross wasn't the joy, but the joy of the Lord was his strength. Jesus overcame in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Adam failed in the Garden of, of Eden. We will be tested in our garden, so to speak, and when we overcome, we're empowered by what we overcome. So we become stronger and strengthen that, moving towards the finality of receiving what God has birthed in our hearts or what we're believing God to do for that. So we can, we can look at it and say, I'm just passing through. <laughs> I'm passing through this moment. I'm not going to get stuck here. I'm not going to, you know, get take your names and numbers and so I can go back and, and, and uh, tell everybody how bad you are. We can tell that when we try to drag other people into our, to our anger, in other words, I want, if you love me, you'll join my offense. That's like saying, I want to give you the plague. I want to offload my, my, my pain into your. Somebody does that, you can, you, you can say easily, you know what, I'll pray with you. I'm sorry that happened, but I'll pray with you. But you'll start, they'll pull you back into rehearsing. Yeah, I remember when that happened to me, and I went through that. If it's a testimony, fine, but a lot of times the testimonies go back to another testing. God is faithful with all of those testings to deliver us out of them all. Now, I want to finalize with Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I referred to it, I think, last week. Everybody got into it fully. Pick it up in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet. In other words, buck up. We're heading somewhere. So what is lame may not be dislocated. In other words, I want to bring healing to you for what I have in store for you. But rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. In other words, how God thinks. Without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing the Lord doesn't mean just in eternity, but I need to see him right now. Jesus said, I, I, I always do what I see the Father do. You can have revelation, not just necessarily eyes. I want to have revelation of, of the Father. How does he feel about this? I want to see holiness or how God thinks about this. Verse 15. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace. If you don't think you can fall from grace, look you there. A couple of other places said that. Fall short of grace of God. I believe in the power of grace. I believe God's grace is stronger than probably what we know. Lest any root of bitterness, and the word bitterness there, poikos, which means poison, just as easy as that. A root of poison springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
we don't get, we don't get free, then we start poisoning everybody else around us. Misery loves company. So if you don't, if you, if you're not, if you don't want to drink my poison, then you don't love me. It's kind of the idea. Have you ever known someone when they had another point of view there about a situation, about someone that maybe hurt and wounded you? And you, and, and you say, well, maybe God's, then, then you're not loving me. If you're, if you're not for me, then you're against me. Well, I could may, maybe at the point I'm neither one. I'm for God. I'm on, on the Lord's side. There's not neither, there's more than one side here. All right. I've meddled enough. Let me move on. Verse, verse 16 is pretty heavy. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected by his father Isaac. He rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Man, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? You remember the story that Esau was the firstborn son, which meant that he got the double portion. It was the right of the family to direct funds and direct what happens in the family, to carry on the next legacy. Though it was prophetically spoken of that Jacob would, would be that. So Esau comes in from the field. He's famished. Jacob was a good cook, I guess. And, and, um, and he had fixed the stew for his father and loved it. And so Esau comes in. I'm going to die. I'm going to famish. And Jacob was, his name means trickster, deceiver. God had to deal with that later on. And he said to him, give me a stew. And he said, well, let's negotiate. You give me the right to your birth. Let's switch positions, and I want to be the firstborn. Esau, in his mind, perhaps thought, well, it doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm going to die from famishing, so therefore I might as well just give it to you. Because it was the lust of his flesh that gave up his spiritual position. So that's why the Bible talks about as a fornicator or one like Esau who though he thought he sought repentance but he couldn't get there and he defiled a couple of reasons number one was if he sought for a repentance how come he didn't find it if you go back into the story and, and the writer here does give us some, some little thought to it so he says to him that for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he wasn't repenting. The fact is that I gave up something that God gave me. He was upset because I don't get the blessing. It was about the blessing. It wasn't the relationship to his father. So true repentance means the fact is it's between us and, and God, not just the fact is if I repent, then I'll get back what I want. So it's possible that to repent and the circumstances not change. Need to know that. Well, I thought if I repented, then God would give me what I lost. Not so. Not every kind. So repentance means I'm burning the house down. I'm not going back to that thing. I'm not going to keep reliving that moment. I'm going to walk away from that because that means God has something else for me. He's not going to, going to punitively hit me for it, but I've lost that blessing anyway. He goes back to his father Isaac, and he said, Father, is it, don't you have one blessing? And Isaac said, no. A birthright was so important that it was to be guarded. It was to be protected. 
It was a covenant relationship. And yet the Bible puts, puts Esau right in the point of a profane, one that has, has no understanding of value, and he's a fornicator. Wow. In other words, he thought the relationship that he had with God, I'm using that, or with Isaac, wasn't as valuable as filling his belly. And he lost it. And he became so grieved because he could not find repentance. And it, he couldn't get past that. So when we talk about getting free from soul ties, and, and by the way, Esau evidently, you go back and read it, he was angry, angry at Jacob for a long time. Later, Jacob is brought back to the homeland and he knows that he's going to have to make restitution with his brother. Here he comes. Your brother's coming, and man, he is coming fast. And there's a lot of people with him. And Jacob's thinking, oh, he's going to get revenge. But God evidently had worked in his heart and got rid of the bitterness because when they came together, it wasn't about that. And yet Jacob gave, gave big offerings and gave big back to Esau. It's possible to not have a value of our relationship with God. If anyone else can take the place of the relationship with God, then our relationship with God is not, is not very good. I was having a conversation with someone recently. They were asking, we're praying with them about a husband. And I said, don't settle for what you feel. Settle for what God thinks. Father God knows best. Otherwise, you'll be grieved all the days. Don't let it appeal to, man, if I could just have a pot of stew, man, if just that, then you get it, then what happens? But I've lost, it has pulled me away from a birthright and a place with the Lord that I had solidly. It has to be so precious, so much that that secret place is precious to you. That no one, nothing can take them, pull you out of that, at that point. I grew up in a home where I, I've heard, you've told, heard me say this before. My dad wasn't, uh, he wasn't a, a bad guy at all. I loved him dearly. He was a good father. He just didn't want to go to church. And the reason he wanted to go to church was because he smoked. Somewhere down the line, he got it in his mind that if you smoke and you go to church and God will strike you for it. Not a lucky strike either. <laughs> Took y'all, some of y'all to catch up on that. The younger generation shouldn't know that. I remember him coming in and the church, they would make this statement publicly. If you smoke, God won't send you to hell. You'll just smell like you've been there. Where's that in there? In other words, that was kind of the church code. And so anyway, there was a, there was a real touch of God in the service, and my dad happened to come to church. We, we begged him. I had to do some chores. I mean, I did everything to get him there. Would you come with me? I'll do this. He came. The conviction of the Lord got on him so strong, he was just sitting there just shaking. Because my mother was praying, God, shake him over hell. which we found out later is probably not the best prayer to pray. Because I went to her and I said, you need to let go of that prayer because we're all paying for it. 
Conviction was strongly on him, and he, he ran to the altar. We had the altar benches there, and he ran down there, grabbed his cigarettes, pulled them out of his pocket, slammed it down on the altar. Some people prayed around him. Someone's saying, let go, give up, let go, give up. Shonda, say this. You, you know. In other words, we're wanting, we're wanting to get you to give us the results that we're looking for, not believing and trusting God to come into the house, the temple, and renovate from the inside out. So service was over. I was so excited. I was so happy. So I, he came in in his pickup. We, Mom and I came in the car. So I said, I'm going to ride home with Dad. Got in the truck with him. And man, he just had the ashtray out. And he was just a fumbling through the ashtray and looking for a cigarette butt he could, he could still get some fire on. He made an outward show but didn't, had not allowed the Lord to deliver him. God wants your heart more than he wants the stuff. But it's true that when he gets your heart, somehow or another, all the other stuff starts letting go of. Right. But when we start trying to clean the outside of the cup first and the inside is dirty, then the Bible calls it, it's just, it's, it's the Pharisees. Jesus said, I want to, I'll clean the inside of the cup. We'll deal with the outside later on. It's all about the heart. Stand with me if you would. Father, we're so thankful that you never give up on us. You keep touching, keep loving on us, keep responding to us. You're a good, good Father. You love us more than what we even love ourselves. And you've not come to condemn us, but to release us. For there is no condemnation in Christ the Anointed One. you feel condemnation just tell the devil to get off and let the conviction because conviction brings results condemnation is suppressive so we look to you Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith I ask the Lord today in this room anyone that has not a personal encounter with you that you take us in not into the closet to spank us, but into the closet to love on us. And then out of that, we want to let go of some stuff that's just baggage. Today I pray over every person that's carrying baggage of resentment, anger, maybe even feeling justified in it. And yet, Jesus, you came and you took justice. The just for the unjust. We allow you, Holy Spirit, to come and to reframe our thinking, reframe what we're seeing and how we think and see it the way you see it. And we want to honor you, Lord, with everything that we say and do. So we just ask you to come and remove the yoke that we're tied to. Help us not to be no, no longer a shareholder in something that's going down the tubes that you're not that you haven't invested into you've invested your blood you've invested your life you've invested your word we want to be a shareholder in the kingdom of god not the kingdoms of this world we just bring healing right now 
by the Holy Spirit just to allow, give you a picture of what it means to let go of it. The picture of the scapegoat laying hands on that and letting that goat go off and then not letting that goat come back in the camp again. Not my will. I've had to pray that many times. Not my will. God, I'd like this, like to say it this way. Not my will. Not my will. You have an eternal will, eternal eyes, and I have only the temporary looking through the glass darkly. I ask you to bring healing in Jesus' name. I want just everybody, instead of asking a person individually, just lift your hands before the Lord as an act of receptivity. Jesus, some of us are at a point that we can't even, we can't bring healing to ourselves. We're so deep into it. The poison gets into our bones. The poison gets into our life. The poison gets into our homes. You even said in the Old Testament, it's like leprosy in the walls. So we just present ourselves and ask you, Jesus, to come. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Take the yoke, tie it to that thing, and break the yoke and we'll never put it, so we can never put it back on again. And healing to come deep in our spirit. We'll not rehearse it. We'll not build it up. We'll not give it power over us. But we'll rehearse the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and there are saved. We choose to run into your place of safety, not into that default of pain. We thank you for the liberty in Christ Jesus. Amen.